you do. Um, if you would open it with me to Romans chapter 11. We've got two more weeks in this chapter. Um, if you are interested in end times prophecy and things that are occurring in the last days, I want to invite you to be here with us next week as we wrap this chapter up. We're going to be talking about from Daniel chapter 9. So if you want to read ahead, and uh, we're going to be talking about the 70th week, Daniel's 70th week that's still yet to unfold and how that applies in Romans chapter 11. So uh, we'll be talking about that next Sunday. So I want to invite you to uh, be part of that. And then, um, you know, today we're going to pick it up in, in verse 11 here this morning and read through verse 24. And one of the, the beauties of this um, particular chapter, you know, when I think about it, um, you know, we've been talking about, you know, God's purpose and his plan um, for Israel. And, you know, that the big question mark that we answered last week, you know, is, is God done with Israel yet? And there was many, uh, and I shared this with you, that in the world, not only then, and the reason they believed that God was done with Israel then, if you remember, if you were with us last week, if not, just a little bit of review before we jump into this, um, you know, the, the church started obviously in Jerusalem. It was made up, it began with Jewish people, only Jewish people. It wasn't until Cornelius in the book of Acts, um, you know, was ministered to by the apostle Peter that the Gentiles began to be saved. And uh, we saw a, a major change that began to happen uh, during that time period where uh, less and less Jewish people uh, were coming to faith and more and more Gentiles were coming to the faith. There was more people in the Roman Empire that were believing in salvation by grace, uh, you know, through faith in Jesus Christ than there were Jews. And so there was this mindset even back then that, you know, well, God must be done with the Jews. You know, they've rejected him. And so God's just looked elsewhere. You know, he's not going to fight with them, but uh, uh, again, he'll just find somebody else. And obviously he's found the Gentiles. And so that was what it was like, obviously, in, in the days of uh, uh, the apostles. And then we look at today, and I shared with you, um, you know, last week that there's basically, you know, there's about 15 million Jews that live in the world today. And about 9 million of those Jews live in Israel. And, or excuse me, there's 9 million people living in, in Israel, and about 6.5 million of those are Jewish and out of that 6.5, there's only about 300, 350,000 that are messianic in their belief. And I shared with you that that can seem kind of, uh, you know, um, defeating in one sense. But if you go back to May 14th, 1948, when Israel uh, was, you know, granted statehood again, there was, there was only 23 uh, messianic Jews living in Israel at that time. And so since, you know, May 14th, 1948 till to now, you know, we have... Uh, you know, the gospel is definitely going forth, which it demonstrates is that God always has a remnant who believe. There's always a remnant that, that will walk with God. And there's, it's never been the majority. And I think that's where some people get tripped up. You know, all of Israel has, has you know, as I shared with you last week, you know, God, you know, of, of the children of Israel calls them a stiff necked people because they just wouldn't believe. It was never the majority that were literally walking with God. It was always the minority. And what was true then is still true today. And so when you, you think about what we read here this morning, I titled this uh, Jealous for Jesus. You know, we talk about Jews for Jesus, and, and there's a responsibility that Messianic Jews have uh, for Jesus to be able to go and to share, you know, with their countrymen. And, and yet for us as, as believers, 
um, we have a, another mandate, and ours is, is jealous for Jesus, is to live our lives in such a way that it makes not only the Jews, but that it makes other people jealous for the relationship that we have that in hopes that they would want that relationship too. And so we're going to read this together. Um, I'm going to encourage you to um, pick it up there in, in, in verse... Uh, what do I want to do here? I want to jump ahead here. Um, in verse 11, and we'll read it all the way through verse 24... And then we'll just take a moment here and we'll pray. It says in verse 11 of Romans 11, it says, Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? And Paul says, of course not. They were disobedient, and so God made salvation available to the Gentiles. But he wanted his own people to become jealous and to claim it for themselves. Now if the Gentiles were enriched because of the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater a blessing the world will share when they finally accept it. He says, I'm saying all this especially for you Gentiles. God has appointed me as an apostle to the Gentiles, and I stress this, for I want somehow to make the people of Israel jealous of what you Gentiles have, so I might save some of them. For since their rejection meant that God offered salvation to the rest of the world, their acceptance will be even more wonderful. It will be life for those who were dead. And since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, their descendants will also be holy, just as the entire batch of dough is holy because the portion given as an offering is holy. For if the roots of the tree are holy, the branches will be too." But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. And so now you also receive the blessing that God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You are just a branch and not the root. Well, you may say, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ. And you are there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe towards those who disobeyed. But he is kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you also will be cut off. And if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted in again. For God has the power to graft them back into the tree. And you, by nature, were a branch cut from a wild olive tree. So if God was willing to do something contrary to nature by grafting you into this cultivated tree... He will by far be more eager to graft in the original branches back to the tree where they belong. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word and pray that, Lord, you would help us to understand, uh, Lord, the message and context of what you were saying through the Apostle Paul to the church there in, in Rome. And at the same time, God, that you'd speak to us today. There, there's still a message for us. There's an implication in our own lives. We could read this and Lord, we can totally miss what you have for us, but Lord, I pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We don't want to be uh, as, as the Jews who, who were right there in front of you and who missed it. God, we, we know that you're here in this place today. We know that you're speaking, and Lord, we ask that, God, you would, you would change our lives, that you would transform us as we 
present ourselves to you and that, Lord, you would take your word, as Larry was praying in worship, that you'd massage it deep within us, Lord, and, Lord, that our lives would truly be pleasing to you, that we would be appreciative of the fact that you have grafted us in. For by grace we've been saved through faith and not of works which any man can boast. It is the gift of God. And we praise you for that today. And we look forward to all that you would speak to us as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, so when you you look at this chapter, I shared with you a little bit last week, and we'll get into it way more detail next week. Um, You know, the book of Isaiah, you know, prophesies about, you know, Israel being cut off and then being brought back into the land. And the first time that that happened, you know, you understand in the Old Testament, that was when um, the southern kingdom was taken captive by the Babylonians, right, for 70 years. And then they were released, you know, Nehemiah and Ezra. Um, going back and, and rebuilding. And then, um, again, it happened in uh, A.D. 70. And if you remember in A.D. 70, you know, the, the Roman Empire uh, was at war uh, with uh, Israel over taxation. You know, it's easy to get in a battle with the government over taxation, isn't it? And uh, the Jews revolted and they rose up against uh, Rome. And then finally Rome just came in under Titus in A.D. 70 and they just sacked the city. I mean, they turned the city upside down. They used to go in and and take money, uh, silver from the treasury, but this time they came and they took everything. They took the gold. There was so much gold there when they set the temple on fire. It says that the gold melted and just just flowed down into the cracks. They had to wait for it to dry uh, to remove it. There was just so much gold that was taken there. And then those that weren't killed Uh, in the battles there. I think Israel had about, I think it was 14,000 foot soldiers at that time. Uh, Rome brought in like 15 to 20,000. Those that weren't killed uh, were taken captive and the rest were just dispersed. And then, you know, you go, so what happened to the Jews? Well, they basically had no homeland any longer. And so they just went to the far ends of the earth. And it wasn't until May 14th of 1948 uh, that you know, God opened a door uh, through the United Nations for the nation of Israel to come back into the land. I just shared with you some, you know, statistics with regard to the numbers of, of Jews and Messianic Jews that are living in the land today. And so there's something that obviously God is doing, but yet much of Israel is still unbelieving today. And so as God fulfills his word, it'll be amazing, you know, to watch what happens. And like I said, I, you know, not just throwing a teaser out there, but, you know, we can only cover so much text today. And so we'll get into that next week when we talk about, you know, Daniel's 70th week and God's purpose and his plan uh, for, you know, Israel. And, and you look at, you know, Jesus, and, and if you recall this in Matthew's gospel in, in chapter 23, remember, you know, Jesus predicted that uh, the Jews would reject him. You remember reading this in the gospel account in Matthew 23, in verse 27, it says, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, it says, the city that kills the prophets, and he's talking about the city of Jerusalem, and stones God's messengers. How often, he says, I've wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. Jesus is speaking of himself. He says, and now look, your house is abandoned and desolate, For I tell you this, you will never see me again until you say, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And that day is still to come. That's what we'll be discussing, you know, next week at the second coming of Jesus Christ. In in chapter 24 and verse 1, it, it, it continues on. It says, and as Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him various temple buildings. It's, you got to kind of picture that. They're telling Jesus about the temple, right? And they're, hey, Jesus, let us explain to you, you know, everything about the temple. 
And uh, he says, but he responded. He says, do you see all these buildings? He says, I tell you the truth. They will be completely demolished and not one stone will be left on top of another. And you, if you, like I said, if you have the opportunity to go to Israel and you see as we'll be there at the Temple Mount, we'll be there at, at, at I think it's called Anderson's Gate, uh, right there. It doesn't exist any longer. And it's where the, 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 the cleansing pools and everything were when the, the money changers where Jesus turned over their tables and everything uh, at the Southern Gate there when they come in uh, to the city. And it's pretty fascinating when you look up and you see these, you know, 15, John, you're back there. What, do you remember the tonnage of like how much well, they said some of those, some of the boulders that they used to set the uh, temple mount? Do you remember any of those that, I mean, how many tons? It's like 25, 30 tons. And they're just stacking these things. And you go, they didn't have a crane back then. You know, how did they get this? And Jesus said, every one of these stones is going to be turned upside down. And they were. It was just amazing, you know, the destruction, you know, that took place there. And, and it, again, as we look at this, it happened just as Jesus said that it would. You know, Larry, in worship, he was praying this, right? He said, you know, that the word of the Lord doesn't return void to him, does it? It, perp it does everything that he purposes it to do. And so if it's in scripture, you can bank on it that it's going to happen. Now, can we misinterpret things? Absolutely. But what Jesus said would happen will come to pass. And, and what we see here very clearly, and we can't miss this, does God have a plan still for the nation of Israel, even to this day? And you go, yes, he's, he's making that perfectly clear. There is a hope and a future for those who put their trust in Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah, as both what? Then and now. That hasn't changed. And that's why it's important for us to study this because, again, you look around the world today and people, we see all the evil and we're going, Lord, you know, it's like those that are under the altar in the book of Revelation. How long, oh Lord, how long? I mean, how long can God, you know, in a sense, turn his back on this as though he hasn't physically turned his back? He knows everything that's going on. But how, how long can he let this go? And then you think back in your own life. You, you remember what year that you got saved? What if Jesus would have come the year before that? You go, thank, thank God, you know, and, and, and again, and we'll, as we'll study next week, you know, there's a reason that the Lord hasn't, uh, hasn't come. And uh, again, it's so important that we understand that. And so, you know, you look at, you know, what God was desirous to do, it's, you know, is to obviously make himself known through the nation of Israel and what they did, sadly, you know, in their failure to do so, you know, we find the same thing happens today. You know, they made, they made laws to, uh, help them not have to minister to people. And we come up with the same kind of restrictions in our own you know, society today. Reasons why we don't get involved in people's lives, right? The risk is too high, you know, the, the fear of, of physical harm and all these things. You go, well, it was no different back then. People were being killed for their faith and they had to make a decision. You know, am I going to be obedient to Jesus or am I trying to protect myself? Is it, is it self-preservation? And you just don't see that you know, with regard to the gospel account. And so if you pick it up there in verse 11, let's look at this. He says, did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? And we answered that, right? He said, no, he says, of course not. They were disobedient. So God made salvation available to the Gentiles, but he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for himself. And I shared with you, you know, again, 
there was more and more Gentiles being saved than there were Jews in Paul's day, and the same thing is true today. And I gave you a couple weeks ago, you know, definition of envy, you know, because the question comes up and it came up, you know, even with people that didn't catch it during the service. They go, Pastor Mike, you know what, what's the difference between envy and, and jealousy? And it's, a, it's really a good point. You know, and I, and I put this, you know, in my notes, envy is the wrong response when we're tempted to want something that rightfully belongs to another. And that usually occurs in our life when, you know, we're discontent or, you know, we're filled with greed. That, that's what creates envy. Jealousy can be negative, but jealousy can also be positive too. And so I'll share with you kind of a positive definition. Jealousy is the right response when someone who is rightly yours is intimate with another. It is primarily about relationship, okay? It's not envying what the other person, you know, has, but it's jealous. And, and again, in God's jealousy, he's not jealous of you and he's not jealous of me. He's jealous for you and he's jealous for me. And you go, why? And you go, because God knows that if we put anything else in front of him, what's going to happen? It's going to hurt us. See, God, God's forever, amen? God's eternal, God doesn't break. He doesn't move away. He doesn't die. He doesn't fail in any capacity. But if you put anything in front of God, that somehow, some way, you know, ultimately, you're going to be left holding nothing. That's what life is, in the sense, apart from God. And so we look at you know, the Jews, and, and we think of envy and jealousy. As I shared with you, you know, the Gentiles, for the most part, they were despised by the Jews. The Jews, I mean, had tremendous disdain, you know, for the Gentiles. And, you know, again, we still, we see prejudice in our world today. And so you think about, you know, who, who would have been better in the sense in God's eyes, you know, to, to make Israel jealous than to use the Gentiles to do so. And that's exactly what he set out to do. And, you know, the, and I put my notes here, you know, the Jews got to witness, uh, you know, in the Gentiles, what they were missing. And it reminded me of a, a Trace Adkins song. Um, and I remember hearing this years ago, and I had to go look it up this morning. And uh, it was kind of funny. There's a song by Trace Adkins, and it says, you're going to miss this. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I'll read you um, the lyrics. They're perfect for this. It's in how God you know, operates. Because what happens is we just don't, we don't understand what's in front of us at any given moment. Uh, the, Jesus said of the Jews, he said, you know, I've, I've come to you. He said, I came, came to my own and my own what? They knew me not. They didn't, they didn't recognize me. They rejected me, right? And he's going, and I've come for the what? The very purpose to give you salvation. You know, your Messiah, your Savior. You know, God saves. He's right in front of you. And they, and they, and they missed it. And, and this song reminded me of that. It says, she was staring out the window of that SUV complaining, saying, I can't wait to turn 18. She said, I'll make my own money and I'll make my own rules. Mama put the car in park out in front of that school. Then she kissed her head and, and said, I was just like you. And then the chorus says, you're going to miss this. You're going to want this back. You're going to wish these days hadn't gone by so fast. These are some good times, so take a good look around. You may not know it now, but you're going to miss this. And then it goes on. It says, before she knows it, uh, she's a brand new bride in a one-bedroom apartment, and her daddy stops by. He tells her it's a nice place, and she says, it'll do for now. Starts talking about babies and buying a house. Daddy just shakes his head and says, baby, just slow down. He says, you're going to miss this. You're going to want this back. You're going to wish these days hadn't gone by so fast. 
these are some good times, so take a good look around. You may not know it now, but you're going to miss this. And then it goes, <laughs> I love this one. It says, five years later, there's a plumber working on the water heater. Dogs barking, phones ringing, one kid's crying, one kid's screaming, but she keeps apologizing. And the plumber says, it don't bother me none. He says, I got two babies of my own. One's 36, one's 23. Huh? It's hard to believe. But then it goes on and says, but you're going to miss this. You're going to want this back. You may not know it now, but you're going to miss this. And, and that's what happened with the Jews. That can happen with us today. Something to take to heart. You know, that when people say these are the good old days and you look back and you go, they really are, you know, and we'll, you'll look back in, in the future because we live in a society that we, we talk about degradation, right? It's, it's a downward spiral. And I think we, you know, this isn't a drudgery for the believer because we know for those that are in Christ, the best is still yet to be, amen? But for the world, this is as good as it gets and it's, it's getting worse. And so since we're in the world, we're not of the world, we're, we're seeing the world system collapse all around us. I mean, it's, and it's happening fast, isn't it? There's things, if you just turn the news on, you go, what the heck happened? How did we get to this from where, you know, how, how did people arrive at this? It's like, I mean, the speed at which, you know, evil is, is, is advancing in this country. And yet, like I said, for the most part, you know, the Jews, they don't just miss, you know, what they had. They missed it completely. And, and it's so sad, you know, when you think about it, you know, so you think about for us, as we look at this this morning, how can we make Jews jealous? Because that's what Paul's talking about here. And Paul would say, you know, from Colossians, he said, it's Christ in you. What? What did he say? Christ in you, the, the hope of what? The hope of glory. Yeah. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That people would see Jesus in you. That the Jews would see Jesus in you. Um, he's speaking specifically, you know, of the Jews here. But I think we can take it even further than that, than the whole world, you know, around us. You know, because true faith, if you think about it, it really is appealing. You know, when you consider the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the graciousness of God, the mercy of God, the provision of God, all the things, the love of God, everything that, you know, is of God, you know, is awesome, right? And to be able to participate in that, you know, the calling of God upon our, our lives. I mean, there, is, there should be, would you agree? There should be a quality, not just a quantity, but a quality about our life no matter what. So we talk about the difference between joy and happiness, right? That happiness is based on what? Your happenings. I mean, there's good days and there's bad days. But joy comes from within. Joy is a fruit of God's spirit that has nothing to do with your circumstances. And you watch many, you know, I was, I was talking uh, with someone this past week and, and I was ex explaining to them, you know, from the book of Job, when the devil you know, uh, is there before God. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? Right. And, and the devil's like, yeah, you know, I have. And he goes, okay, you know, you can go ahead. You can, you can touch his stuff, but you can't touch him. So, so the devil thinks, you know, if he, if he takes Job's stuff and messes with him that he, cause he's seen it, he's seen it in believers that, Job will curse God to his face. So he goes down. What's he do? He destroys everything he has. has his kids are killed. Everything. But it says in all these things, Job did what? He held his peace. He's, the Lord giveth what? The Lord taketh. But what? 
Blessed be the name of the Lord, right? So then Satan comes back, and I was telling this first, and I said, but this is what was amazing to me, is, and I'm paraphrasing this, but basically Satan goes back before God, and he says, okay, I've been to churches, though, and I'll tell you what, let me touch him personally. Let me afflict him in his body, and he will cuss you to your face, because I've seen it. Oh, your stuff, we can replace stuff, but no, you let me get him personally, and he will cuss you to your face. So God says, okay, skin for skin, but you can't kill him. So what does he do? I mean, he just causes these terrible boils to overcome his whole body. And he's sitting out, you know, in, outside the dump, right? And he's taking pieces of broken, you know, pottery and he's scraping himself. But in all these things, what did Job do? He kept his peace. And it's such an amazing thing, you know, when you, when you think about it, that people, and I share this all the time, you know, people might appreciate, you know, our accomplishments, things that we achieve in life, but they can relate to you in your pain. They relate to you, you know, in your failures and your suffering because they look at your life and they're going, you know, how can they, how can they still have joy when they're going through this? And you watch people that have, they've gone to church for a long time, but they maybe not have been deep into Jesus. Because, and we have no excuse because we claim as well, you know, we're only human and we go, no, we are. I think the apostle Paul was human too, wouldn't you? And you go, and what did he do? You go, I mean, you have to read the book of Philippians. It's, it's, it's a fascinating book. I'll, I'll get ahead of myself here, but I'll, I'll share some of those things with you. But there's something about the Christian life that we could say membership has its benefits. Membership has its benefits. You ever heard that expression before? Where'd you hear it? Membership has its benefits. Anybody? Costco. American Express. Well, I heard it with American Express. Uh, I used to work in the beverage industry, and the last uh, job that I had, I worked with the Snapple Beverage Company out of New York, and, and uh, because we had to travel so much, they said, well, you have to get credit cards, you know, because you've got to use credit cards. We're not going to pay you cash to travel, and, and I don't even know if I had a credit card. Maybe I, we did back then, but it was just like maybe one, and it was just... You know, I, it wasn't a debit card because they hadn't invented those yet. Um, but I ended up, I got American Express card and I had it for a couple months. And then they, they said, hey, you know what? You're using this thing so much. You probably should get, um, we're going to send you the, at that time, the best card they had was a platinum card. And on it, it said, and membership has its benefits. And, and to be honest with you, I never took advantage of any of the benefits because I really didn't pay attention to what the benefits were. I just used it to get an airline ticket and then to buy meals and pay for taxis and stuff, you know, when I travel. And uh, so, so I'm in the airport uh, going to Israel after working at Snapple. So I've never taken advantage of the membership. Don't really even know what the membership benefits are. And uh, we have about a four hour layover in an international airport. And I'm walking to this airport. If, if you've ever traveled overseas and you go back in time, like, and you use, you lose hours. I mean, you just get rum dumb, right? And we have a whole group of people. We've got a, like a four-hour-plus layover. We're all over in the corner here. Everybody's got their bags. And, I mean, we're just tired. We've already been up, you know, all night and the next day. And I'm walking down this, this corridor, and I see this little sign on a door. And it says, American Express. It says, Platinum uh, Card uh, Lounge. Hmm. I got one of those. No idea what it does. So I opened the door and I, I am not kidding you. If when I opened the door, it was as if the angels of heaven were singing. 
I mean, it, the music that they had on their Muzak system there was like, hallelujah, ha. So I walk in there, and I'm just like, and there, it was like there was a, a whole layout of different foods and beverages and people waiting on you. They had sofas. They had things you could lay back on. I looked. There was a really nice restroom. They had a shower. You could, you could, you, you could use your card and you could use, take a shower. And they had cubicles that had little sofas in them like beds. And you could go in there and you could go to sleep. And I'm thinking, so I stick my head out the door. No one saw me come in. I don't want to stumble the group I'm with, but they don't. And I said, can I bring people in? They go, got to have a card. I can't. There's nothing I can do. Nobody else. So I walk back in. And I sit down. So then I'm there and I come outside uh, later on. And it's like, I don't say that the whole time, but it's like an hour and a half, two hours. I come walking back and everybody's like, so where did you go? Because everybody's just on their own doing their thing. And I went down them. They go, did you change your clothes? Uh, why do you smell so good? Mm, where did you go? And I was like, well, I went to the American Express Lounge, and I start telling them, do you think that they were jealous or do you think they were envious? I'll leave that for you to decide, you know, in that. <laughs> was it good or was it unhealthy? You know, probably wasn't very healthy, you know. But it was just one of those things that, you know, and, and the problem was I, was I got home and I was telling Lee about it, and I said, honey, I said, I've had this car for years. I've never taken advantage of it. I've never used it for what its potential was because I, I kept thinking, you know, because they'd show all this stuff and I go, didn't, didn't fit my lifestyle. It didn't appeal to me. So I was like, I, you know, not, we don't go to these high dollar, you know, places and stay and stuff. So I just thought there's no advantage, but there is. Membership has its benefits. And that should be how it is for the kingdom of heaven. As we grow in the knowledge of Christ and we understand, you know, what God has accomplished, you know, for us and what he's offered us in Christ Jesus. And you think about this. I mean, Paul, you know, he writes letters to, you know, I mean, two thirds of the New Testament, you know, is attributed to the apostle Paul. But when I look at the, like the book of Philippians in particular, and, and you've read the book of Philippians like I have. And you read that and you go, man, I think Paul is on a cruise ship in the Mediterranean. He, have you ever seen like pictures of the Greek Isles and stuff? I mean, I hope to, to go there with my wife for our 40th anniversary. That's one of the trips we want to do the, the steps of Paul, go to Turkey and go to Greece. And so we're planning a, a trip there this next year. And I look and I'm like, yeah. And you think about the apostles. See, we're going there on a vacation, right? And you think, man, Paul is writing the book of Philippians from a five-star hotel, just kicking back. You know, somebody's probably bringing, you know, fresh fruit, grapes to him every day, you know, and all this. By the way that he writes. And you go, no, he's in prison. And he's not just in prison. He's in the lowest rung that you can get to. He's like where the murderers are kept. He's down there where the rats live and the sewer is. And he's chained to a guard that they literally are chained to him 24-7. And, and, and you think about, you know, Paul and what he writes about himself in his life, you know, second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 through 28, it says, you know, he's, he's given his credentials here. 
He says, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. He says, I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and robbers. I have faced danger from my own people. He's talking about the Israelites, Jews. He says, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty, and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have my daily burden that I have for my concern for all the churches. You think, that, that's Paul's life. You go, wow. I mean, if anybody had a reason to complain about life and to say that the world is all wrong and, you know, and just go off on, you know, victimization and all the reasons why, you know, I, I don't believe or I don't try. You go, it'd be Paul. But let me just give you a couple of verses from Philippians. Philippians chapter two, verses one and two. It says, if, is there anything about it? He's writing from a prison. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Uh, are your hearts tender, compassionate? Then make, my, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Or Philippians 4.4, 4, always be full of joy in the Lord. He says, I say it again, rejoice. Rejoice always, right? We sing that. You hear Cosper singing that all the time, walking across campus, you know, clapping his hands. Yeah, you know, again, I say rejoice. Philippians 4.19, you know, from prison, and the same God who takes care of me, takes care of me, says, will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. You could say, Paul, he's a, he's a portrait of what, you know, hope against hope looks like, wouldn't you say? I mean, someone who really is enjoying peace beyond comprehension, who's really experiencing joy unspeakable in his life. I mean, is, is Paul, by the way that he lives, is he bringing his own countrymen to jealousy? And you go, absolutely. Or envy, the negative side of it, where they want to eliminate him because they're envious of what he has, not realizing you know, that they can enjoy exactly what he enjoys as well. Colossians 1.27, it says, For God wanted them to know that the riches and the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. That was the point I was making earlier. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's from the New King James. What I just read was from the NLT. And so, you know, you think about, you know, Paul. I mean, he's, he's under the... In, the custody of the Roman government. I mean, he's their prisoner. He's, he's in jail, right? I mean, technically he's not free. Would you agree with that? Technically, Paul is not free, but he claims to be the most free of all people. And it doesn't, you know, we go, oh, Pastor Mike, if you knew the situation that I was in, the bondage in this relationship, you know, da, 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 da. And you go, man, it can't be any worse, you know, than the, the apostle Paul, you know? And yet Paul recognized that his freedom is in Christ, his liberty is in Christ. And again, that's what he's telling, you know, his captors. You know, John chapter 8, verse 31 through 38, Jesus said this to the people who believed in him. He says, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Do you see why Paul was free? Because he knew the truth. The truth you'll know and the truth will set you free. The truth of who God is, the truth of God's word. And if you don't believe that truth, you will be miserable. I mean, and you can tell people that really believe it because 
even though bad things happen, bad things happen to God's people, to, to God's in, in understanding. You go, yes, they do. Not all things are good, but all things do what? They work together for good because it isn't ultimately about this life. It's about the life to come. This is preparing us for heaven one day and hopefully to be a magnet that we can take as many people as possible with us along the way. He says, and Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. He says, and the Jews said, but we're descendants of Abraham. They said, we have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean? You, you will be set free. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you're truly free. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham. And yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room for you in your hearts for my message. I am telling you that what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. And who is their father? He said, your father is the devil. But you think about how appealing Paul's life is. I mean, here he is, you know, he and Silas in the book of Acts, it's midnight, right? They've been beaten. And what are they doing at midnight? They're singing praise songs to God, right? And the, and the gates come open. And what that means is that, you know, for, for them, it was literal gates. For us, it's spiritual gates, man, just to be able to open our hearts up before the Lord and to sing his praise. God visits his people in, in their affliction. I mean, I would love to tell you that, you know, I felt the closest I've ever been to God, you know, when life is good, but that's not true. The closest I've ever felt, you know, God's presence in my life is when I've been in pain, when I've been suffering, when I've been hurting. That's when God shows up the most. And it's an amazing thing. But who goes, oh, but I, but I would, you know, I want pain and I want suffering. And that, but that's what Paul said. He goes, you know, that, that I might know him, you know, through what? Through suffering. You go, wow. And you go, why? And you go, because in every way, when you love somebody, you want to know everything about them. You want to experience everything with them and everything that they go through, you go through. Uh, that's one of the things we love about the book of Ruth, right? Where you go, I go. You know, where you lie down, I'll lie down for, you know, your people are my people. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. And where you die, I'll die. Talk about together. Talk about oneness. And yet, you know, you read the Apostle Paul's writings and you'd think, man, this guy's at a luau in Hawaii. And that's not where he's at. He's in a prison. Look there in verse 14 of Romans chapter 11. He says, for I want somehow to make the people of Israel jealous for what you Gentiles have. So I might save some of them. So again, you know, I always go back to that word enthusiasm, right? The English word enthusiasm comes from two Greek words in theos. In is in, E-N is R-I-N. Theos is God, in God. The most enthusiastic people on this planet should be those that are in God. Amen? That, that's what the word means, enthusiastic. And you go, why? And you, because Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, what's he going to do? He's going to right every wrong. He's going to make everything perfect. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eye. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more dying. You know, everything will be made new. And you go, man, we have something to be enthusiastic about. No matter how bad things look. It looked pretty bad when Jesus died on the cross, amen? I don't think it could have gotten any worse, to be honest with you. But what happened? Three days later, he what? He rose again. I mean, defied it all. And that's what changed and transformed people's lives is the realization death couldn't hold them. That's the thing that we ultimately fear the most in this life. And he came to conquer that. Death and suffering have been conquered in Jesus Christ. And so what did the Gentiles have that the Jews didn't have? 
They had Jesus. What do you and I have that the world doesn't have? We have Jesus. But we go, oh, but you know, we can imagine this. I mean, Jesus is trying to get out, you know, in, in one sense of our life, you know, that God would work out what he's working in us, right? And yet we can be so apprehensive. We go, my, my faith is private, you know, da, 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 da. And you go, no, it's not. It never was intended to be private. And it's not just for your church friends. It's, it's to reach the unbelieving world. You know, that, we'll get into that more next week in, in Daniel's prophecy there in chapter 9. See, in Jesus, you have rest and you have peace and you have hope. You found that to be true in your own life? I'm always reminded, you know, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, and Jesus said this, Come to me, all you who are weary and who carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And let me teach you. He says, because I'm humble and I'm gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden that I give you is light. And man, people hear that, that don't know Jesus. They just get mad. Because they're all burdened down you know, with all these things in this life. And what did Jesus tell us though? He says, hey, Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth. What, is, what does salt do? Two things. It was a preservative, right? Kept things from decaying. So part of the reason we're here, and we'll get into that next week, part of the reason we're still here is to hold back the decay. Is it hard to envision what the world would be like if you took all the Christians out of the, off the planet today? Do you, do you recognize that you are holding back something, right? There, there's something that's trying to advance itself. But when the church stands up and says, no, it's not going to happen. You know, there is a decay that is being kept from happening. Like I said, we'll talk about that next week. But there's also what? Flavor. Flavor. Have you ever had something that's really salty? What happens when you taste something that's really salty? What's the next thing that you want? Water. Or something to wash it down. That's why I said when you go to a restaurant and they give you chips and salsa at the very beginning, right? They want that on the table. They're pouring, not just, they go, and we put, we put seasoning salt on ours. We don't just put regular salt. We put seasoning salt, right? And what does that do? And then they come by, and would you like something to drink? They don't just bring out water anymore. Remember, they used to just bring water out. Oh, no. And they loved it when water became a little scarce because now they just withhold it. So they're watching you from the back room. You know, they're going, would you like something to drink? And, and you know. A lot of people that, that, I, that I have meals with, they, they, the restaurant hates them. I just want you to know because they only order water. Everybody go to like, I'll take water with lemon. I, so I always order some uh, iced tea. At least we'll buy something, you know. So you guys going to buy something today? You're just going to have water with lemon, you know. It's like, yeah, we're going we're, we're gonna, to we're gonna get something here. But it... But it, the salt makes them thirsty. And Jesus is going, guess what, guys? All of you that are here today, me, God has ordained our lives that we would be salt of the earth. That every place that you would go in this life, that you would make people thirsty for what? For Jesus, not for water. Remember, Jesus said you know, to the woman at the well, he said, you know, if you knew who was to ask you for a cup of water, you would have asked him and he'd have given you living water, right? You know, and, and she's like, give me that water, you know, and that's what we want to be able to do is, is live in such a way that it makes people thirsty. And you go, but if you're not around people, and especially you're not around 
non-believers, how do you make people thirsty? How do you be truly the salt of the earth? Just things to think about, to pray about this week. I'm always reminded of a story about um, the very first church I went to in town when I gave my life to the Lord was uh, Calvary Bible Church, and Jack Peacock was the pastor there. And he told a story. Jack Peacock reminded me of J. Vernon McGee. I just loved Pastor Jack. Awesome guy. And he tells this story. He used to be a, an evangelist that traveled around, and he had like four tent revival meetings that he would do. And he was on a circuit with other pastors. And he said, and every once in a while, they would all meet up together and they would talk about how God was working in their ministries. But they all spoke in the same tents, you know, and they just traveled the same circuit. They just went from place to place. And Jack says, they asked Pastor Jack, Jack, how you doing? He's not doing very good. Well, what's going on? He said, life was just hard. He said, I, I went to this town and he said, I pulled up and this guy looks at my, my car and he goes, Pastor Jack, he said, your tires look a little bald. And he said, yeah, they're, they're really bald. And he said, well, I own a tire shop. He said, bring your car down. He says, you know, I want to I bless you, you know, man of God. Oh, I can't have you do that. And he said, so I, I'm driving to the next town. And what happens? He said, I get a flat. He said, I got to change the flat. And he goes, I get to the next town. He says, I'm just sore. I'm tired. He says, this guy comes up and he looks at my car and he says, Pastor Jack, he says, man, that seat looks pretty worn out. He goes, yeah, even the springs are starting to come through. And he says, well, hey, I own an upholstery shop in town. He said, why don't you just bring your car down? And he said, let me, let me fix that seat. He said, man of God, you know, I want to make that comfortable for you. You know, as you travel, I mean, you're out there doing the Lord's work. And he said, I can't have you do that. And he said, he just stopped at a store and ends up buying a pillow and, and uh, just, you know, puts a blanket over it. And he's sitting on this thing and it's still poking him going from town to town. And he gets to this next town. And he says, and this guy comes up and he goes, uh, Pastor Jack, he says, were you in a, in a windstorm? And he goes, oh yeah. He goes, you know, that, that dirt is, you know, on the highway there going from town to town. He says, man, your, your car, it could sure use a new paint job. And he says, well, I can't afford that. And he says, well, I can. He said, I own a paint, a paint and body shop. He said, bring it down. He goes, man, let's just fix this up and make it look good. He goes, you want to look good for, for God, you man of God. And he says, I, you know, I couldn't do it. And he says, I'm just looking at my dungy old car. And he, and it's just, it's just sad. And he goes, you know, and, and I, all my cars just breaking down all around me. And uh, he said, what about you? And the guy goes, oh, man, I'll tell you what. He said, God is so good. He said, uh, I went to this town. And he said, this guy comes up to me and he goes, hey, man of God. He said, your tires look like they're bald. And he said, uh, you know, let me replace them. He says, well, I drove down to the guy's shop. You put brand new tires on my, on my car. Hallelujah. And he goes, and I go to the next town. And he says, and there's a, a guy comes up and he goes, hey, man of God. He says, man, you, your seat looks like it's uh, worn out. He said, uh, I could fix that and make it really comfortable. So as you're traveling around from you know, place to place. And he says, I, okay, God, thank you so much. You're so awesome. He says, I take it in there. And he goes, that guy does tuck and roll on my, my seat. He goes, I'm going down the road. Yeah, praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. He goes, I get to the next town. He goes, my car's looking good. I got new tires. I got new upholstery. This guy goes, all you're missing now is a paint job. And he goes, you think? And he goes, yeah. He goes, I own a paint body shop. Bring it down. What color do you want to paint it? He goes, I tell him what color. And he says, I always wanted to color this car this color. And he goes, he paints the thing for me. He goes, praise God. I mean, God is so good. And, and it was a true story. Jack said, he's just sitting there. He goes, man, God, God was trying to bless me. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't receive the blessing. He goes, what did he do? What did he do? He gave it to somebody else. He gave it to somebody else. 
And, and it's exactly what happened in the lives of the Jews. They were chosen of God. God basically was saying to them, hey, I want to provide tires, you know, for your car. I want to put upholstery, you know, in for you. I want to paint your vehicle. And they're just like, nope, nothing to do with it. And so God's going, okay, you don't want to do it? Then watch this. And, and it was so perfect. Jack said, I was so jealous of that pastor. I mean, I could see the blessings of God upon his life. And it just, it just frustrated me. Verse 15 goes on. Romans 11, it says, for since their rejection meant that God offered salvation to the rest of the world, their acceptance will be even more wonderful. It will be life for those who are dead. I mean, think about this. You know, if, if being, you know, grafted in was good, how much more will be being brought back to life? It's one thing to, to graft in. That's what he's saying. You know, you were a wild olive branch. We took you from over here and we made a cut on you and we put you in and we grafted you in horticulture. You know, we go, okay, we get that. He goes, and man, that's an amazing thing when that happens. We look and think of all the, the fruits and vegetables that are hybrid today by grafting in, you know, other fruits and vegetables. And you go, what about, you know, bringing something back that was dead and bringing it back to life? How much more will that be a celebration? And there's, there's a point in all that. I put in big, bold letters in my notes here. God is not finished with someone when you think that he might be. Have you found that to be true in your life? Just when you give up on him, what does God do? He reaches them. He reaches them. That's why, you know, Paul, there's a great reminder in this chapter, never give up on people. Because why? Because God's never given up on you. And yet we do. We go, oh, you know, do it to me once. What? Shame on you. Do it to me twice. Shame on me. Yeah. And, and we'd say, oh, I don't live by that. But we do so much in our lives. Maybe it's not two times. Maybe it's like, well, if you just knew how many times. Well, Jesus said, how many times do we forgive? 70 times. And that was just an analogy, right? 70 times what? And that's how many? 490? In the same day. What would you do if somebody sinned against you the same way in one day, 490 times? I'm pretty sure you'd punch them in the face, wouldn't you? I mean, if, maybe not literally, but you'd go... It's only the grace of God that's keeping me from punching you in the face. Only because I know that passage and I'm so mad right now. Because it doesn't even have to reach 490, right? But we understand, you know, Israel appears dead, but it's not over. God's for Israel. He's for you. Remember what Jesus told Mary and Martha, the tomb of Lazarus. John chapter 11, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. And he asked the question. And I ask you, do you believe this? Do you believe it? He asked Martha, Martha, do you believe this? But I'm asking you, do you really believe that? Because if you really believe that, that will change the way you live your life. But if, if you don't, then you know what? As Paul said, then eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we surely die. Then get all twisted off about all the things that happen in this world, because this is it. But if this isn't it, what does it matter? Don't sweat the small stuff, because what? It's all small stuff. But we don't, we don't think that way, because we're too tied to this earth. But when we get tied to heaven, like the Apostle Paul, and he's the example here, you go, man, people are looking at that, and they're going, ah. And, and so much so, what did the Philippian jailer want to do? What did the Philippian jailer want to do? He's going, what must I do to be saved? Paul was such a, a salty guy. He was such a light that even the jailer, who's this hardened guy that's seen it all, correctional officer, if you ever met him, whew, you know, 
Because they've seen it. You can become so jaded, right? And he's going, what must I do to be saved? I want to be like you. That's what he was saying. I want what you got. Man, what an awesome thing for us. So Israel, temporarily cut off so you and I could be grafted in. Verse 16, it says, And since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, their descendants will be holy, just as the entire batch of dough is holy, because the portion given as the offering is holy. For if the roots of the tree are holy, the branches will be holy as well. He's just saying, you know, Abraham was the first fruit. So, you know, what did Abraham do? He gave him the first fruit of his life. He offered up his own son. And God said, now look, Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. With so many children, you can't even count them all. If the root is holy, the branches are holy too. But yet it doesn't take away personal responsibility. We all have a responsibility before God. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Verse 17 goes on. And I like how the New King James reads this. It says, and if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive branch were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root of fatness of the olive tree. I love that word fatness there you know again you think about you know what what god is is saying you know if you how many enjoy a good steak what makes a good steak a good steak the what the fat right and then you trim it off right but what makes a good steak a good steak is the fat that's where the flavor comes from right just ask my dog chloe you cut a steak and then you start cutting the fat off i mean she's sitting right there by the table you know what's happening to her little face there's just saliva. It's just dripping off of her. She's like, thank you, Jesus. I don't know if she could say that, but if she would, if she could. I mean, it's just an amazing, the, the flavor. It's, it's so, so amazing. And, and what God has done here, and you think about, it's the parable of the, of the wedding feast. He's offered, he's offered this to Israel. And Israel rejected it. It's like when I said fat, you know. I'm looking at some of you guys and you go, oh, fat and a steak. Oh, I would never eat that, you know, and, and I get this. And this analogy that, that Paul is using here, it's such an amazing thing because he's pointing us back to the parable of, of the marriage feast. Remember, you know, there's, there's you know, a, a king who has a son who's arranged for a marriage for his son and he sent out invitations and the people didn't show up, Right. And so what did the king do? He's going, man, we've, we've got a wedding going on here and we've ordered food for the wedding. And these guys that were invited to come, that would have been the Jews, they didn't come. So what did he tell his servants to do? He said, go out on the highways and the byways, right? And this is still personal responsibility because people, they were asked to come. Some people probably didn't come. You still have to make a decision. Salvation is a gift that's offered from God. We can't earn it. We definitely don't deserve it. But he's going, hey, guess what? There's a, a marriage taking place and you're invited. And man, and the delicacies here, what we're offering up is the fatness. And I, and I want you to think about you know, that word. It means, the word fatness means to receive into the soul that which, which refreshes, strengthens, and nourishes us. I love that. The fatness. That's what God wants for me and you. He wants to refresh us and strengthen us and nourish us. Grafting us into that promise. And I wrote, 
what Romans 5, 9, 10 says, and says, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, it says, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. It says, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. He's going, you know, if you think that the death of Jesus did something for you, wait till you meet him face to face in, in living in life. I mean, enjoying the very presence of God. I mean, we celebrate the fact that he died for us, right? I mean, to think that you're going to be with him. Talk about the fatness there. If you, uh, Psalm, you can write down Psalm 36, 8, if you're a note taker. You, know, you can read that. Psalm 63, you know, verses 1 through 5. You can read those. There's an invitation. Isaiah 55, 1 and 2, passage many of us are familiar with. It says, is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. If you have no money, come. Take your choice of wine or milk. Talk about the fatness here, right? It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does not do you good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. It's talking about the fatness of God. That which, you know, refreshes you and nourishes you and strengthens you. That comes from being in the very presence of God. And then it ends with this, and where we'll cover today in verses 19 on. It says, well, you may say those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ. They wouldn't come to him. It says, and you're there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe towards those who disobeyed, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you will also be cut off. And we'll get into that more next week, talking about, again, this, you know, we, we use this as a theological term, e eternal security. You know, the Bible doesn't teach that, you know, per se. That's something that people, theologians have made up. When you study the Bible, it's really not something that God really even addresses. And, we'll, and like I said, we'll, we'll cover that. You know, one of the things that we see here in Scripture is what? God comforts the afflicted, and he what? He afflicts the comforted. That's what God, that's what he does. The Bible's a love letter, obviously, from cover to cover. It creates in us a healthy fear of God. Not one that we fear his judgment, that we fear displeasing him. And then it closes with this, verses 23 and 24. It says, And if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted in again. For God has the power to graft them back into the tree. You, by nature, were a branch that was cut from a wild olive tree. So if God was willing to do something contrary to nature by grafting you into his cultivated tree, he will be far more eager to graft the original branches back into the tree where they belong. And so he's saying, they're the nat that's what he came for. He said, you know, Jesus is a Jew. He came for the Jews first and foremost. And he's coming back again for the Jews in the second coming. We get taken out in the rapture. And we'll talk about that more next week. But you think about, you know, they're going to see him one day. The prophecy of Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, it says this. It says, then I will pour out my spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me in whom they've pierced, and they will mourn for him as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him, for a firstborn son who has died. They're going to they're gonna see Jesus one day. They're going to see the wounds in his hands. They're going to see the, the wounds in his side. And they're going to realize they missed it. 
like the song, you know, you're going to miss this. They missed it. But it doesn't mean that God's done. You know, our job, our responsibility, like I said, is to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and then to fulfill the, the plan and the purpose and the calling of God upon our life is to live our lives salty, to be a light in a dark place, not to find ways to disengage from society. And I see so many in the church that are doing that. And it's so sad. It's like, th this is for such a time as this, like I've been sharing with you week in and week out, you know, diamonds are more brilliant against black velvet than against anything else. And as this world gets darker, what a privilege, what an honor, what a responsibility that we have, you know, to be out there and to be engaging, you know, go, is it scary? You go, well, from a human standpoint, but not from a spiritual one, you go, why? Because our lives are hidden in Christ. And the best for me and for you, no matter what, is still yet to be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. Lord, I thank you for this book, the book of Romans, that, Lord, has been so life-transforming. To think that the study of this book has brought about revival. Every, actually, every revival that's ever taken place, that's been of any magnitude, Lord, has happened at the reading of this book. And I pray that it would be true in our lives as we study it and we study your purpose and your plan, that it brings about revival in our life where we, we look to you more, that we trust you more, we believe in you more. And then not only just for ourselves, but for the lost, for our family members, our friends that don't know you, our neighbors that are around us that, that have never heard the gospel. Uh, Lord, the, the most evil in society, Lord, uh, need the gospel. And Lord, you're equipping us and you're preparing us, Lord, to engage them, to love them the way that Jesus loves them. As scripture says that there was a day that we were enemies of the cross. And yet, God, in your kindness, you drew us to yourself. And Lord, through your kindness, Lord, may you draw the world to us. And so, Lord, we pray today. And I know it's a, it can be a hard prayer, a scary prayer, that God, you'd make us salty. That God, you would make us light. And that we'd let our light so shine before men. That we'd step out in faith. And Lord, we'd let them see our good work. So in turn, they'd, they'd ask, why? Why do you do that? Why, do you, why are you happy when things are falling all apart? Why, why is there still joy in your life when you have reason to be bitter and to be jaded? And for us to be able to say, because of Jesus. I mean, it's just plain and simple. It's just Jesus. It's not me. It's Christ in me. I want to be mad. I want to be sad but greater is he who's in me than he is in this world. And so, Lord, have your way with us this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, I'll invite you to stand to your feet. We'll send you out with song. And if you need prayer, you know, maybe just grab somebody that's around you. If there's nobody there, feel free. Come this way. We'd love to pray with you. Have a blessed, blessed week in Jesus. Mm -hmm.